0: Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. I'm super excited about this episode.
1: Matt O'Dell came onto the show almost a year ago, uh, and that was probably one of our most exciting and one of the best POV crypto shows that we've done. He comes back, and this time, not necessarily to argue about Bitcoin and Ethereum, although that did happen at the end. Uh, But to talk about adversarial thinking in general, we titled this a lesson in adversarial thinking and Matt is one of the best Bitcoiners at, you know, trying to think adversarially, trying to give good practical advice on how to improve your privacy, how to improve your security, etc, etc. So he's really fantastic and super glad we got him on.
0: Yeah, Matt Odell. When we first brought him on, which is definitely an episode worth listening to, uh, way back when we just simply titled it Ethereum versus Bitcoin, so not not hard to find. Uh, we butted heads about about like how uh, adversarial the stance of cryptos towards this state is, and it, at at the time, my opinion is that you know the the U.S. government, the nation state, isn't really going to ban Ethereum, like they're not going to. Bin, they're not going to ban Bitcoin. They're not going to ban these systems because you know the, it's a free country and we like innovation and and things of this nature. Uh, and that kind of that kind of changed after we saw the United. In my in my opinion of this changed after we saw um, the United States start to turn and look like a little bit like Hong Kong, where there were police protests uh, and you know police. police police brutality uh and then at the same time my uh concern about privacy and how public i'm being about a being a crypto person kind of like re changed my mind reorganized my mind and, and had made me have new perspective for why they think these things are important so we bring matt odell on to to talk about this subject i would still say that matt 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 is like somebody that like you said he's he is a leader in adversarial thinking and, and living a life that uh, is protective of a person that enables them to be a crypto person. But he also seems to readily like give up the good UI UX of a system that that also compromises your privacy. Right. And so like there is a balance and we talk about this in the podcast. There is a balance to be had about like putting privacy first, but then also trying to like live a normal life um so that's kind of that's kind of where where my perspective is is like what what are the easiest things to give up in a privacy perspective that don't actually hinder your life in a negative way that still allow you to have like the good ui ux that you would find from your from your life um so that's that's kind of my takeaway from this episode and and talking about these subjects with matt was definitely super valuable
1: 100% and i think one of the best things about this space is Like everyone is working to increase the utility and the benefits of using technology that is privacy um, enhancing and sovereignty enhancing. So that's why we're here. And uh, Matt likes to remind us that just being in Bitcoin or crypto is not enough. You know, you've got to think about these things deeply. Um, But let's talk about our sponsor. Sponsor.
0: Yeah, our sponsor, Alto IRA, started in 2018. If you have your assets, especially if you have your assets on Coinbase and you are trying to generate a tax beneficial environment for you, you should absolutely sign up with Alto IRA. They are the leading platform for individuals to invest in alternative assets with IRA savings. So what you can do is you can open up, this is directly integrated into Coinbase, right? So your funds inside of Coinbase works with Alto IRA. So you can trade your cryptos, between cryptos, but then also for dollars. And because they are in an Alto IRA account, they get the tax deferment that allows you to Uh, Have an advantageous position. Uh, You don't have to pay capital gains tax because your assets are with Alto IRA. So there's 24-7 trading custody with Coinbase and just a minimums of $10, uh, which is basically nothing. With the Alto Crypto IRA, you can just open a traditional Roth or SEP Crypto IRA account and get ready to invest immediately. You can find them at altoira.com slash POV crypto for more information. Make sure to use that dash POV crypto so they know that we sent you there.
1: Awesome. And without further ado, let's just get into this episode with Matt O'Dell. We are live for the second time today, this time with Matt. This is our Bitcoin doubleheader. Matt's drinking. David's drinking. I'm trying to work out later today because I'm a fat fuck Mm -hmm. and I'm not drinking until later. But uh, we asked Matt to come back onto the show because last time Matt was on, it was about a year ago. It was the day that Donald Trump was tweeting about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm and mm-hmm. uh david was talking about how he's not concerned about the government trampling on innovation uh and that we don't have to plan for uh for potential action at least from from the us uh so i think uh david's changed his opinion a little bit i think we have a lot more information now uh i'll just uh yeah hey matt welcome back to the show
2: it's it's good to be here as always good to see some familiar faces uh, just to the crowd, you know, I have three hours on you guys, so it is a little bit later here.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, right now. So degenerate.
2: yeah, no, I am
0: I am the de- the degenerate of, of this crowd. Um but you know, it's past noon, so
1: early drinking uh, plus is not beyond that O'Dell, though. Let's be real. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so maybe I can start this off with a little bit of a preamble to kinda of give the context of what we talked about last time and then what's happened recently. We don't uh, need to introduce uh, and- you
1: anymore. It's good. <laughs> Just get ready.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're going right into it. Um, and so the last time we talked, Matt, uh, I, I said that I just don't think it's a reality that the nation state of the USA or nation states, most nation states at large, are going to like ban running a node or ban Bitcoin or ban Ethereum. And so the the need to run a node through Tor is a nice feature but not a necessity for a blockchain because. You know they're still pretty anti-fragile, regardless of whether they can run through Tor. Uh, it's still easy to spin up a node and and run it in in a dis- distributed, dif- dispersed manner, so that it's difficult to stamp out. Um, and I-, I thought the 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 absolute focus on privacy was like you know you don't need a hundred percent privacy, you just need mostly private. And and the the anti the tools of the anti-state were uh, uh, extremist and perhaps uh, just a little over the top. Uh, and then I got, and then I got pepper sprayed by a police officer <laughs> in full riot gear with thousands and thousands of dollars of, of riot equipment. And then, and then I went home and, and my, and my very small five, two sister and her and my brother-in-law, her husband also got pepper sprayed all of us at the same time, like without warning. Um, and then, and then we went home and watched the news and then we watched the, uh, news report give an account of what happened from the police that the police told them, here's what happened. And then the news reported it. And it was a total fabrication, like, like total lie. Like it was like some things were, did have kernels of truth, but they were in the wrong sequence of events that made the police look really, really good. And then I started to, uh, you know, be uh, cognizant of the absolute public nature of myself as a crypto person Uh, I, I, you know, there's, if there's one thing, you know, about me is that I own cryptocurrency and, and I'm also a, in a position that has, I've also communicated a very anti-state position. Right. Uh, and I've made that very public. Uh, I, you know, I, and I use my, my full name on Twitter. I use my, my headshot, which not even CK here does. Uh, and so my face is out there. Uh, It's it's, everything's public. And, you know, that's part of part of me wanting to cultivate, you know, a brand of sorts. But also there's risks to that. And the the risk is that the freedom of speech will not be upheld. And the fact that the state will actually clamp down on that one day. And what's even more salient is like this movie V for Vendetta, which is uh, set in a post uh, post uh, uh, pandemic society. With the government that, and the pandemic was used as a, an excuse for the government to become totalitarian and listen in on our conversations and, and invade our privacy in, in order to control us. And all of a sudden, after getting pepper sprayed by the police officer, uh, I, I now appreciate the ability to uh, completely hide uh, one's life uh, and especially their Bitcoin or Ethereum node in through Tor. Uh, So that's kind of the context of of what the first uh, Matt O'Dell POV episode was. And that's kind of where we are starting off this episode here today.
2: I mean, I would like to start with that. That first episode was one of the best conversations that I've had publicly recorded. Like That was a very good conversation. I think everyone should go back to listen to it. It held up really fucking well over the last year. It's pretty crazy. It's only been a year. Um, so everyone should go back and listen to it. Uh, it's one of the few things I shill that says crypto in its name. Um, <laughs> what What I, about that episode? Do you really think uh, has shined? Well, it's exactly what you said. I mean, first of all, these aren't. This is not a new thing, right? It's a new thing for Americans. Um, what a lot of people, I think, miss here is that this isn't an American movement. This is. You know, George Floyd's murder kicked this one off in America, but this is a global movement that finally hit America. We saw protests around the world, anti-government protests around the world. We saw them getting smacked down like crazy by borderline authoritarian governments around the world. It has come to America now. And people like yourself are finally waking up to that, to that result. Before I, I don't want to come off as grandstanding too much here. You know, CK doesn't have his headshot on Twitter, but we're all guilty of the same thing that you, you just said. Right? Fully doxed. I mean, look, look at us right now. We're, you know, it's, it's a fucking mess. But I, when I doxed myself, I was in a similar situation as you. Like I didn't fully res- realize how, how important it was. Uh, and I, I think it's important for people like us to be very outspoken here because we do still have free speech in this country. Um, and, and we, we need to have, I respect the use of NIMS tremendously. I think everyone should use NIMS online. I think they should take their privacy more seriously, but we need public people that are outspoken about this. It's extremely important. Because it's the, it's the public facing people that make
3: room
0: for other people, right? Like if, if all the people who believe these things are go in hiding and in secret, it indicates to everyone else that everyone else also needs to do that. And then we just retreat before we actually needed to retreat. Right. And so like when I, when I see totalitarianism in my home state of Seattle, I, I record it and I put it on my Instagram feeds so everyone else can see it too. And without that, without people doing that and peeing and raising flags early, maybe maybe people other people would look, look on this and be like, you know, he's kind of just being a, a reactionary. He's kind of just trying to drop a, a reaction. It's, it's an autoimmune attack. It's an autoimmune resistance to the police officers, right? It's, it's just like, hey, like this is going on. Everyone pay attention to this, regardless of whether it's a, it's a big deal or not. And without those public facing people, uh, there would be no one to push up uh, and create resistance against the police officers, right? It's especially, the, I think the big thing that we've all seen is that when police officers uh, in the United States uh, committed police brutality, the protesting got bigger, not smaller like people rose up and, and showed up more, not less. Uh, and so uh, I, I think that that is what the role of that, that
2: I'm trying to, to, to offer. I think that's what, what you're offering as well. I mean, it's an interesting balance, right? Because things like cell phone, social media, uh, give us the power to, to, to elevate our reach, to, to open people's eyes, but they're also tracking devices, right? Mm-hmm. So like, the majority of people that go to protests shouldn't bring their cell phone with them. They shouldn't. If you go to a protest, you probably shouldn't post it on social media, but we need some people to do it. Like we, we need, Mm -hmm. you can't just get your news from CNN or MSNBC or wherever you get your news or Fox news. You can't just do that. We need people on the streets that are actually filming this shit that are documenting it, that are, that, that are broadcasting it to the world. But at the same time, we need the masses to understand why privacy is important um, and to respect that. Because I don't think people fully, more eyes are going to be opened over the next couple of months about what our domestic surveillance capabilities are. Because they're just hoovering up this information. They got, they got facial images. They got tons and tons of multimedia content with images all over people's faces. They have, they're flying DEA planes. Uh, tracking everyone's cell phones. They got stingrays. Some, sometimes they don't even have to do that. People are going to the protests uh, with like Snapchat location sharing enabled. You know, like I sometimes I think I get too far into the weeds, like uninstall Snapchat before you go to a protest. <laughs> you know, like, like little things uh, are going to bite people in the ass, but hopefully they learn and hopefully their friends and family learn indirectly through them uh, what the capabilities are here. And and people figure it out. If you look at Hong Kong, you know, Hong Kongers are, the the majority of young Hong Kongers are well aware of the surveillance capabilities of the Chinese government. And it's because their friends and family got fucked. Like, that's how they learned. They learned the hard way. uh, And that's how the majority of people will learn here. Uh, But... I try and stay optimistic. I I think this is this can be seen as like a great awakening that people are starting to finally realize what the capabilities are here and and we have the tool we have the tools to to at least make it more difficult, to make mass surveillance more difficult. So I think the big interesting thing
0: that I've seen is that, you know, the these protests started in Minnesota and then the next day they were across the United States. And then the day after that they were across the United States even more, and then the day after that, they were in Europe, and and Latin America, and and r- Russia, wherever, and it spawned It spawned a, glo- a global protest revolution under the initial guise of Black Lives Matter. But I don't think anyone is really thinking that the Black Lives Matter protests are a hundred percent of what composes these protests in like the uk and europe in in latin america right like they definitely are to some degree like in in bristol we saw uh people throw over a statue into the into the water of a previous slave owner but i but i i think what you're perhaps alluding to and and what i kind of want to dive into is to what degree are these protests actually anti-state protests right like if the if in i can't remember what city it was but we saw a budget for a city where there's like $6 million a year given to the local police force. And there's $300,000 a year given to the local healthcare system. Uh, And, and then there were protests in that city. Right. And so like, to what degree do you think that this is actually a, a anti-state system protest more than is a black lives matter system. protest?
2: To think this is like an American centric thing to think that Mm -hmm. this is something that came from America and started these protests shows privilege to begin with, because People have been. We had this year and the year before have been record levels of anti-protests. Around what did it take in America? In America, it took three months of state-imposed lockdown, where you weren't allowed to operate your small business or go to work. It in combination with a president that was completely off the wall with everything he fucking did, and in combination with someone getting murdered by the police on camera in cold blood, just watching it happen. Right. It was all Mm -hmm. these things came together. um, And it just, it comes down to the system being fucking rigged. The system is rigged and the majority of the people get fucked by it and people are waking up. People are starting to realize that. And I think there are a lot, a lot of bad practices in our police forces, but it is also a little bit narrow minded to direct all the anger at the police forces. The police forces are an extension of the state and they're the extension that everyone has a direct relation to. They're the ones that have to go out and, and be that direct connection to, to the people of the state's power. And the police officers are getting a fuck. Like a lot of them are power trip hungry, go fuck themselves. But they're getting a fucking raw deal too. It's not like police officers get paid good money for for what they do they they are they get the short end of the stick right like it's you know it's like the the lloyd blank finds like like they're the ones that are sitting at home in in Cape Cod or whatever, just like watching all this shit on t v uh that like the real anger should be should be directed to as much as possible but i mean as as with everything else there's like a fucking shit ton of nuance and one thing that i have realized in this in this whole crisis is that i thought like twitter was like a poor platform for nuance but i just think our society as a whole lacks nuance i just think people have trouble with nuance like they it's easier to distill something and and this is what bitstein will always tell you right you just keep the message as simple as fucking possible because it's just it's just hard for people to see all the shades of gray in between there.
0: I, I do kind of want to get at the heart of the system, right? So like the the police are just an arm of the state, right? And the state says, you know, we have this month we have this salary for you if you agreed to do our bidding, right? Like protect private property, and that's it. Uh, and so then some people raise their hand and be like, all right, I'll I'll take that salary for this. Is that is this just because So, like, what I've been thinking a lot about lately is, like, nations are organisms, right? They are born, they grow, mature, and then they die. And especially uh, the thesis of the sovereign individual is, like, the nation state is senile. Like, it's old. Like, what is more ridiculous to think that, you know, that we're going to be able to elect some competent person into presidency and that competent person is going to lead us into fixing the nation state or is it more likely it's going to break down and then we find our our new, we just find a new order of organizing ourselves? Like, I, I think it's actually pretty crazy to think that we're going to be able to go backwards in, in nation state functionality and actually improve this system. I think it's trending towards being broken. And so, and, and, I, and I think what, what you're suggesting is that the protests that we are seeing across the world almost in, almost simultaneously now, but then as you are saying, like this has been happening for a while. Is it, am I right in saying that what you think is that all of these protests are a reflection of the mutual aging
2: of all states everywhere? Yeah, on different scales. But like the system has been broken for decades, but they gave the people just enough, just enough not to be angry. And this, this crisis they pushed it a little bit too far. They pushed it a little bit too far. Everyone had to fuck enough. They f- people felt powerless. They, you know, they, they, they felt like they had nothing to lose because a lot of people don't have much to lose besides their life. Um, and, and this is the result. Chaos is the result. And I, like it is legal in this country to buy politicians. Like that is how our system works. That's how it operates. And you can't, you can't fix that game. You can't fix that rigged game playing that game. This is why I Bitcoin, right? Like the, the, this is what it all comes down to. And, and when you look at this crisis, they bailed out the rich people and, and everyone else got a fucking $1,200 check with Donald Trump's name on it. That's, that's it. Like that, that's what happened. And and people had a fuck enough, and and you see that all around the world to all different extents, uh, because it's all it's all interconnected. It's basic, you know, that the conspiracy theorists want to go like one world government whatnot. The reality is a lot more disjointed than that, but the effect ends up the same anyway. Yeah,
1: I, I would even build on that, and I would say that it really does have to do with like everyone realized with the Corona lockdown how dependent they are on the government and how important the government is a part of their lives. And if they didn't realize it by how obsessed they were with fricking politic uh, soap operas all day, like they really see it now when like the decisions of the government are forcing them to stay in their little cube and and their pod. Um, So we could keep riffing on this, but I would actually prefer to take this in a a better direction, a more uh, productive direction, because I think you were hopeful and one of the things that you do an amazing job of on Twitter and on TFTC is educating people on, one, how to think adversarially, and then, two, take action to protect themselves. Uh, so I titled this, uh, this on Twitter, A Lesson Adversarial Thinking. So I would love to turn it more into, like, what can people do now? Like, the government is huge. It's in our lives. They're controlling shit. We know the dollar, um, you know, Money Printer Go Burr is there to uh, keep the rich rich and, and keep everyone else uh, down like what can we do about it
2: it depends on the individual right and depends on what your current situation is where you live whatnot first I, I just like the whole value prop of these systems is is state resistance if if it's if if you don't want state resistance then you can just use the existing system like that and, and that's what i tried to to come across with on the, on the last episode that, that that's the value. That's where the value lies. So you've got to prioritize that. That's got to be the most important thing. When, when we talk about on a personal level, I mean, we said, I said this earlier, right? Like, uninstall Snapchat. Like, you shouldn't. your whole life shouldn't be on social media. Like, your whole life, like, people, our communications now, especially with this crisis, are increasingly digital. Most of the time, you're not using encryption. So it's all just plain text out there. And from Snowden, we learned that they have facilities where they just log all this plain text conversation and they store it forever because text files don't take up that much space. Just go make a, go, go make a text document on your computer and save it. It takes up fucking no space whatsoever to the point where if they're, transcri- if they're recording our audio conversations, they probably aren't storing it as audio. They are probably transcribing it and then storing it as text. But anyway, we have massive, massive databases filled with every single conversation you've had on encrypted. So should you use PGP? Yeah, you should use PGP. Is that fucking difficult to use? Yes, that's difficult to use. I completely understand that. So use Signal, right? That's a very good step to do. If if you're not using Signal, I guess at least use iMessage. It's technically encrypted. You know, I, who knows, who knows like how well that it works. Turn off iCloud backups. Yeah. iCloud backups. Because those are unencrypted. But not for iMessage, at least. Supposedly. I don't know. It's all closed source. But anyway, it's still better than a text message, right? It's still better than a text message. Use Signal. Make that happen. But the big, really the big thing for 99% and I'm a little bit guilty of this myself with Twitter, but it's, my only, it's the only social media account I have is Twitter. I don't have Facebook. I don't have Snapchat. I don't have Instagram. I don't have LinkedIn. I don't have any of that fucking social media. None of it. That's the first step. The first step is limit your social media because people are just posting their whole lives there. That's a mix of corporate surveillance and state surveillance. So you have to realize that these corporations, once again, Snowden showed us this, they're extensions of the state they are complying with all the orders of the state and and they're and they have a business model documented you know they have a business model for documenting everything you fucking do and putting it into their algorithms and categorizing you and doing all these things if you go i mean twitter is not is it is, doesn't is not absolved from this if you go into twitter and you go to your interests even if you've d- disabled personalization or whatever, add ad personalization, they still have a whole list of everything that you're supposedly interested in and, and you can go through it. It's pretty alarming. Like the things that you'll, you see in there, you're like, oh, I actually am interested in that shit. It's a step-by-step thing. Just trying to reduce, just reduce your attack vectors, reduce your attack vectors and reduce the amount of data collection that is being taken. And perfect privacy in this day and age unless you go off the grid completely and you just stop using technology is probably unattainable you have to operate under the assumption that if a sophisticated actor like one of the, these major governments us China maybe Russia um, want they they want to own you they are gonna fucking own you operate under that assumption we're trying to reduce mass surveillance you try you try and make it more difficult that they can't just cheaply and easily with you know these technologies—they're defensive technologies. Bitcoin encryption, tor- they're defensive technologies. The idea is that that you make it more expensive for an attacker to do mass surveillance. If if they want to, if they want all unencrypted conversations, it's not that difficult for them. It's super cheap. They just uh, Hoover it all up. But but we can make it more difficult, more expensive, and that's that that creates a sizable difference. You don't want a few people to have the ability to basically control large groups of people based on all of this private information or information that you believe is private. Um, That's when we start running into real, real significant issues. So like on that note, you know, don't carry a phone with you as often. You know, your smartphone is a tracking device in your pocket. We say, you know, I won't live in the pod. I, I won't get the chip. I won't eat the bugs. Like the phone is the chip. It's just not in us yet it's in our pocket, but you're walking around with the tracking device, with the microphone, with a camera, Uh, you're purposely uploading all of that information constantly to the internet. The cloud doesn't exist. It's someone else's fucking computer. Like we, and if you're gonna use a phone, use a phone that's more privacy oriented, right? I've been trying to shill graphene, which is a hardened version of Android. That's a sizable improvement. Is it perfect? No, but you can put it on a three hundred dollar phone. You can use a prepaid SIM card that isn't necessarily tied to your identity until they start doing SIM triangulation on you, to figure out where you work and where you live, and that's a, it's an improvement. You know, you're you're slowly moving in the right direction. Um, I, the but the the two biggest things you can do is is. All important conversations, all conversations, should just be end-to-end encrypted. They should mm-hmm. just be end-to-end encrypted. We have the technology. Just in, install Signal. Signal's not perfect, but it's it's a huge huge step in the right direction. And then the the second thing is like, stop using your phone as much. You know, just don't bring it out with you. If you go if you go somewhere, you don't have to you don't have to bring your phone with you. You you don't need. You don't need location services enabled. You don't, have to, you don't need Google Maps to get where you're going. You can figure it out.
0: <laughs> um, so the tug of war that I always see with this is that, like, aside from how it's all an invasion of your privacy, it's also an improvement to your life's, like, UX, right? Like, if you have more data about that, the algorithms can improve your life. And so like, there's this one, uh, there's one story of this guy in maybe it was China, maybe it was Hong Kong or something. This is Singapore, it was Singapore. He arrived at the airport and the camera looked at his face and he did not know that this was coming at all. He just found out that this is how it works. He, he shows up in the airport, the camera takes a picture of his face and tells him like, oh, you are this person, your gate is C7. So go to C7. And they knew that because like they knew that he's coming to the airport because he's got a goddamn ticket and they knew who he was from facial recognition. And that was a really nice thing. It was like, Oh, great. I don't even need to pull out my ticket. I can just go to C7. That's a significant like UX improvement. And, like the whole idea behind like Siri and uh, oh, I just, I just trigger Siri
2: um, and, and. Uh, stable <laughs> <like>, Siri don't <laughs> have voice Siri. recognition in your house, but right? it's little so,
0: things. So, so I, I use Siri all the time. It'd be like, Hang on, I have to mute my phone. Hey Siri, <laughs> call call my dad. Uh, damn it, I just did it. Um, and that's a really nice like improvement. Like I, I don't, it's hands free. It's really yeah, nice. Alexa, like, Matt. Alexa. <laughs> yeah. and, but like, and the, yeah, like my mom uses Alexa all the time to add stuff to her grocery list. And so like, this is beneficial to our the UX of our life. At the same time, it's a cost of our privacy. Uh, and so like, I, I kind of want to hear from you. Like, what is how? how how friction filled is a privacy first life like i i don't expect like you know all these you know instagram chicks to really be compelled by this argument of living a privacy privacy first life however they are also like the filler of society that doesn't really necessarily need privacy because they're not going to do anything offensive um but you know you
2: understand my point well they do offensive things all the time and it's well documented (laughs) not to the (laughs) state um (laughs) It, the whole thing is one big privacy versus convenience trade-off. Mm-hmm. Privacy will always be more expensive, will always be more difficult, um, always be less convenient. Always, no matter what. The whole thing is one big privacy versus convenience trade-off. And we see that when you try and interact with Ethereum or Bitcoin private. Um, that's just how it is. But like, you, like, people should realize, like you're paying Amazon to wiretap your house like George Orwell was wrong about 1984 because the government's not installing wiretaps in our house. People are paying for them and then going to their friends and bragging about it.
3: Mm -hmm. You know,
2: we got people paying companies to send their DNA in. They're doxing their future relatives. They're doxing (laughs) grandkids that haven't even been fucking born yet. They're giving up their privacy so that they can have that cool little chart that says where they're from and share it with all their friends, right? Like, Oh, look, I'm like part Irish. I'm part this, I'm part that. Like people need to realize, I don't think people truly realize like how much information they're giving up for this convenience. So the first thing is education. Just be aware of what, of what's going on, what, what you're actually giving them versus what they're giving you. And then the second thing is, like, yeah, absolutely understand that there is a balance there and that people aren't going to use it if the balance weighs too much to privacy versus convenience. This is why PGP, while being fucking dope as hell, has gotten no adoption, but iMessage, which is packaged directly into an iPhone that has worse encryption, is, is probably the most successful encrypted messenger we've ever seen right and then a little bit farther on the scale is is signal which privacy heads including myself like you know i don't love that it attaches a phone number but why did they use a phone number as the identifier they use the phone because it moves it a slightly more towards the convenience side you install signal if on android it's even better you install signal on android it replaces your text message app like iMessage and if they have signal it sends it it sends an encrypted message, and if they don't have Signal, it sends a regular text message, right? So it's important when you're looking at at, at these different tools that we do have things that that sit in the in that balanced spectrum where they are still pretty convenient. You know, it is pretty convenient to use iMessage. It is pretty convenient to use Signal. Um, it's easier to use a text message, sure, right? But you know, the, it, you need you it needs. It can't, be, it can't be completely inconvenient. If it's completely inconvenient, then we don't have the masses use it. You don't have the masses use it. Every time when you talk about privacy, you, you need a crowd. You need mm-hmm. a crowd to hide among. If, if you have perfect privacy, but you're one of 10 people using that tool, like you're one of 10 people using that tool, like you don't have privacy. <laughs> like you need to have the crowd to be, to be among. And this is one of these It's about network effects. Yes, this is one of the reasons why I've been so much of a broken fucking record about using Bitcoin privately because we need people to use it. We can't just you can't just have the 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 people who are aware of it using it. You, we need as many people using it as possible. The more people who use this shit the better. Um and, you know, Things like Samurai Wallet, where it's like a fucking mobile app, and you can, you uh, just a regular person can use that, and they, they can, they can get some semblance of privacy. Is that's massive, right? Like that, that's what we need. That, on the UX side, we need things that are not terribly inconvenient that boost your privacy.
1: Yeah, I mean like I uh, I remember in the past uh, conversation I think we had last week you're saying that you've never been more hopeful by the reaction finally to all the draconian um big government action that um finally people are starting to wake up. I have Signal and uh Keybase on my phone and both of which ping you as well as Telegram. I have all three. And all of those ping you when your friends join it and uh I my phone is just like flying with new people joining Signal and stuff like that. So it does seem like unfortunately it took something this of this magnitude for people to open up their eyes a little bit, but people are kind of opening up their eyes. Like, is this a lost cause or do you think that uh there's a light at the end of the tunnel?
2: Dude, if it was a lost cause, I would be on a ranch somewhere and I just wouldn't be on Twitter. I wouldn't be on Twitter. I wouldn't be doing these live streams. I like I obviously think that we can we can make the world a better place here, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't be fucking devoting so much of my life to this. I don't make shit for money in this part of my life. Like this part of my life, I do because it's my fucking protest, right? It's it's my way of of trying to improve the world that my kids are going to grow up in, that my grandkids are going to grow up in. If, if I thought that wasn't the case, I would just fucking take my Bitcoin, hodl it. And just go into the fucking woods somewhere and never be heard from again, like that. Like my actions speak louder than my words in that in that respect. I think, and 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 if we if we look at this crisis, the beginning of the crisis to me was super bearish. It was super bearish. They just told people to go into their homes, stay into their homes, and they couldn't work and they couldn't have a job. And fuck you, like, you know, I I personally don't think. like, the state should have much welfare aspects to it where they're, like, helping people. But, like, if the state's going to force you out of work, like, it's it's their responsibility. Like, if, if you're going to say that there needs to be collective action to respond to a crisis, there needs to be collective action to protect the people at the same fucking time, right? And no one fucking stood up. No one said shit about it. Everyone just took it. They just fucking took it. And I think part of the reason was the people who would usually stand up realized the potential possibilities of the coronavirus before the government started imposing stuff so they had all made their plans to like try and get out of society a bit um myself included before these restrictions came into place so there was less pushback than otherwise would would have happened but it was super bearish like people just fucking took it so to see people actually Say enough is enough. Like that is at the end of the day the most bullish fundamental. Uh I mean, it, it fucking sucks to see the state just respond by stomping on it. Um like they could have been more tactful about it, but at least in that situation, we do have like a touch the stove. You know, people you, you learn the most in pain. Mm-hmm. Unfor, it's the unfortunate reality, you know. You, that's just what it comes down to. It's like the worst told you so ever. Like, I don't want this told you so. Like, this is not, mm-hmm. this is not how I was hoping it was going to go down. But if that's the case, that's the case. And, and I, I can't help but be optimistic. I, at the end of the day, I'm bullish on humanity. That's what it comes down to. I just think people figure it out. I think, I, I think people, the overwhelming majority of people aren't idiots.
0: Mm-hmm. In, in reflection of this crisis,
2: I actually think
0: of all ways that, the truth came to the forefront as in like the state's authoritarian totalitarian and all of the other weaknesses in society at large like what we've been talking about in this podcast the coronavirus is actually kind of the softest way for that to have come to the forefront like turns out the, the virus isn't all that big of a deal like some people will say tbd we're not totally sure early yet. To tell. too early to tell uh, other people are totally convinced that uh this the, the virus is actually not that big of a deal lack Um, of nuance lack of nuance right yes um uh but at the end of the day i think what we know for sure is that the coronavirus crisis will not be remembered as a healthcare uh, crisis it will not be remembered as a a pandemic it will largely be a story of how institutions reacted to it how the stock market is at all-time highs like three months afterwards for some fucking reason not if you
2: price it in gold
0: not if you price it in gold. Right. Why but why Bitcoin. are we
2: pricing why are we pricing companies in shitty money? It makes no sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. I would actually love to get my get my roommate on here to talk about that cuz he has opinions on that.
1: Yeah, um, I'm in a chat with Hunter and uh I've been dropping Preston Pish's tweets about pricing stocks in in, in Bitcoin and he just lulls at it every time. He's but at the me same time he's about it. he's going all he's also going leverage long on the stock market right now. So mm-hmm. uh you know <laughs> There there may be differences in opinions on how to <laughs> deal with the situation,
0: right? And like it's it's weird that that all of a sudden the stock market has turned into what was that barstool sports guy who is just playing playing the game Portnoy, right? Yeah,
1: Davy day trader,
0: and and he's getting a ton of attention. Like that's weird that that's happening right now. Like all of a sudden the stock market is is replacing people's need to have like sports leagues and is instead now the entertainment of just like, oh, it's, 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 just like for, it's just like watching a poker game now. It's just like, oh, shit, what did he draw? Oh, he got two aces. Oh, damn, like the, the Fed's pumping. And it's, it's turned into a farce.
2: It's turned into an absolute farce. It was always a farce. But and now everyone knows it. The, it's the same thing as with the Romans, right? You had the Colosseum to keep the people placated, mm-hmm. right? This goes back to what I said earlier, right? They always, the people always had enough to just get by and like not cause any issues. And mm-hmm. when you take away their distractions, you take away sports, you take away all these things, you take away the little bit amount of money that they were able to scrape by just, just to keep up with the system. Um, this is this is the result. This is what happens. And like, yeah, I, that it's exactly what you said in, in regards to Portnoy and, and a lot of other sports gamblers, they're gamblers. They like gambling. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a gambler. I like gambling. And that's one of the reasons I discovered Bitcoin to begin with. You know, it's like the ultimate gamble. Uh, and, and of course, they're going to move to the only gamble in town, right? Like, what do you expect? Like, Portnoy not going to – dude's not going to gamble on eSports. Like, that's mm-hmm. not that's not going to happen. So he gambles on stocks. He, he fucks around the stocks. I mean, it mm-hmm. helped that he – he just got loaded right he just got his payout they just had the fucking the buyout from Penn like that so so it, it lined up it lined well there um, but like this whole idea that like oh the robin hood traders are idiots like blah 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 like you can't hate the player you got to hate the game like the what are they supposed to do they're going to leave their money in their checking account to make 10 cents every fucking quarter or whatever the fucking thing comes in on the thing like it's, that's ridiculous. Like the system is set up that you have to speculate on this shit. You have to, you you have to you have to play the game. Like that. That's how you either play the game or you opt out and you play a different game. Those are your those are your only two choices. Or mm-hmm. you're a chump and you just keep it in your checking account.
1: So uh, I was ha- I was having a conversation with Ansel Lindner, and he made the astute observation that globally the S and P 500 and the U S uh, stock market has become the new savings account. It is the new savings technology. Um, because fiat, because money doesn't actually work for the function of saving and storing value, uh, people are utilizing the S&P for that. And it, that's not like something that we didn't know, but framing it in that way, I think, uh, really helped me understand uh, why everything is going up right now.
2: It's a game of trust. Like I, would, I trust Google and Apple more than I trust a T-bill, right? It's, it's, it's the new T-bill. Is is you you take one of these stocks that's flush with cash, that is is relatively recession resistant, um, that has long term horizons, you know, and all of a sudden that's the safe haven, right? I mean, obviously I'm biased. I think Bitcoin's the safe haven, uh, but but not, I'm telling you, if you look at the S and P chart priced in gold, like I love the idea of pricing in Bitcoin, we're just not there yet. It's not a long enough chart. And it and it's going through its adoption phase, so there's too much volatility going on to really show it well. But if you use gold, the second best money that's existed for, for a very long time, you use gold in a chart, it's fucking alarming. People see it right away. I, I literally, while I was waiting for you to send me the link, I tweeted out a price price chart of the S and P and gold. Two thousand was the high. We're not at all time highs right now. Stocks aren't pumping. The dollar is dumping.
0: We, Christian and I were talking about this initially uh, in an earlier podcast, but, uh, and uh, I saw another tweet that reminded me of this this morning. But if we, if we expected the dollar to turn high, uh, inflationary, maybe not hyperinflationary, but also maybe hyperinflationary, the first place you would see it is in the stock market. That's where it goes first. And so, like, if we think that we in are in, in, in real estate, yeah. And if, so, if we think that we are about to enter a hyperinflationary environment, or not even a hyperinflationary environment just a strongly inflationary environment, the world would look exactly as it looks today. Like that's what would happen. And that's what is happening. Uh, and, and at the same time, we have this equal and opposite crisis of like dollar deflation because of the dollar milkshake theory, which I believe everyone here is familiar with. Yes.
2: The dollar milkshake theory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so we print out dollars because of global demand for dollars and then everyone else has dollar denominated debt and then a crisis hits. And then all the dollar-denominated debt needs to be repaid. And so everyone has demand for dollars. So while we are printing massive amounts of new dollars, everyone is sucking it up and 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 repaying their debts. And eventually just the assets get sucked into America where the money printer is. Uh, it's just like a big vacuum of, of value. Um
2: yeah, that's our American privilege.
0: Right. It's the American privilege, absolutely. Uh, and and so, like, and so all these things are happening at once, right? Like we have this. The dollar is strong. Like The dollar is, is high. It's crushing other currencies. And it's being fucking printed. Like It's the most nonsensical thing that if you just look at it, then you're, then you're like, oh, why would there ever be inflation? Why would there ever be hyperinflation? Look at all the demand for dollars. Uh, but again, that's a, a, a take without
3: nuance.
2: Yeah, it could turn real quick. I mean, turn it, it makes sense that the other economies, they falter first. And then the American hegemony fails, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what happens. Like that, it, that's how it logically, that's how That's how it would logically flow. And I, I think that's what we're seeing right now. And I, I would say on top of that, I think it's elevated more that we see stocks pumping. We see equities pumping here in dollar terms, right? Not as much in gold terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, the idea of real estate as a store of value has taken an insane beating over the last two years. I remember, so I went to Hong Kong in January of last year, right before the protest started. Amazing culture, amazing people loved it. Um, I have some family history in Hong Kong that I'm not going to go into, but I, I, their, 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 real estate prices were the highest in the world. It was basically, it was like Hong Kong, New York were like kind of neck and neck and then like London. Right. And, and it was the ultimate store of value. Right. We saw these basically rich elites were putting money into bricks because it was the ultimate store of value. Um, and it was a hedge against inflation. And then all of a sudden within a year, like, you don't want to be holding that bag in Hong Kong. Like, no one wants, like, if you have, like, Hong Kong real estate is toxic. Like, I, I you, you'd you be crazy to be buying in Hong Kong right now. And then all of a sudden, you start looking at all these other bigger markets. And, like, I think you'd be crazy to be buying in New York City right now, right? I think you'd be crazy to be buying in Seattle. Imagine if you owned a building in the autonomous zone, <laughs> you know? It's, like, the maps look like Mosul, you know, mm-hmm. fucking Syria. Mm-hmm. Like, or Mosul's Iraq. But like that it's that's crazy, right, and mm-hmm. so like people in their head, it's turning, and instead of the money going into real estate as well, it's mostly going in stocks because it's liquid because someone can't throw a brick through the window, because mm-hmm. regulations are less likely to fuck you, you know in new york uh we we saw it, we see it in New York, we see it in San Francisco, that's another big housing market like the the rent's going the, down, baby, let's go the regu- the regulations. The regulations they impose because they're politically expedient, right? We would go back to, to to our system being broken. Politicians they don't they have short term horizons. Uh, whether it's for a good reason or not that we have term limits, uh, they they're going from one re-election to the next, and their term. Limits are low, so they, they want to see immediate effects. They don't care. They have no low time preference. Their their time preference is completely high, and it sells if you tell them, "Fuck the landlords. We're gonna do rent regulation. We're gonna do all this different shit." And and the people owning those buildings are like, "Why do I own this? Mm-hmm. Why do I own this when Hertz goes into bankruptcy and goes up fourteen hundred percent, and I can sell it next week, right? right? Like, why why is this my store of value?" So we're seeing, we're seeing a seismic shift there in terms of real estate being treated as a store of value um, at the same time. so And, 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 and equities are very liquid. You, you can sell, you can buy and trade those pretty easily. You don't have the regulatory issues. You don't have those local regulatory issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so of, of course, asset prices are going to pump uh, in, in shitty money too. Got to remember that.
1: So I uh, just want to give a quick uh, heads up. I do have a hard stop at the top of the hour. So we do have nine okay. more minutes left. You guys are welcome I, to keep I, the conversation going. But unfortunately, I, 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 yeah. I,
0: I can tie this into, into crypto
1: let's real quick. Back. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, let's
2: how let's, let's, Ethereum has flawed, flawed incentives and in how it's okay. Oh right, well, Yeah, let's,
1: let's go into it. I was going to say, before we get into that, I was going to say, every, like, what you've been framing here could not make me more bullish on Bitcoin. Like mm-hmm. Bitcoin is the most liquid cryptocurrency that mm-hmm. will not be printed away. That will have this stranglehold on liquidity. Hopefully, um, is is very bullish in my opinion. But can't I, I know you
0: brick thrown through it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I know that. I know that you uh, you would prefer to to just shit on ETH. So let's go
0: to that.
2: No, I want to hear what David has to say.
0: Well, I was just going to talk about basically how we, like real estate is the the foundations of the real estate industry is shifting, right? Uh, and and like the future is so incredibly uncertain right now. We don't know what the future is going to look like. Uh, and so investing in something that like you can't pick up and move, uh, that's illiquid, is uh, not the right move. Okay, not, so let's jump
2: all. on that tangent. Mm-hmm. Certainty, long-term certainty. Yep. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a. I, I see tenet where this is going. Bitcoin, right. It's hard mm-hmm. to change by design. Mm -hmm. Probably one of its main value props, like one of the key value props is that it's ridiculously difficult to fucking change. Um, This gives you certainty long-term. This gives you assurances Mm long-term. And and why is it difficult to change? It's difficult to change because average people can run their own node verified by rules that they've agreed to. And -hmm. if those rules change, their node rejects it. This is one of the things that a lot of people miss. Nodes can't. The nodes don't have the power to change the rules. Mm-hmm. Nodes give you the ultimate veto power and majority. Mm-hmm. You, because because you can spin up as many nodes as you want. You can go on AWS. You can spin up a thousand fucking nodes. But at the end of the day, if you're running a node, you know that those rules can't change unless you update that fucking node
3: hmm
0: that's that's exactly right and i believe that you are saying this uh, supposed to be in contrast to ethereum and how that's not quite the case because of hard forks and that's updates and you're totally right uh and uh i'm have you listened to the vitalik episode that we did on pov no. no uh and i'm gonna guess you didn't listen to the nick carter episode on bankless that just came out on
2: monday no but nick's my boy so like i i know how he thinks
0: Okay, so listen to the Nick Carter episode that came out on Bankless on Monday. And then also listen to the Vitalik episode that came out on, v- uh, on POV, where we talk about the long-term commitments of Ethereum and its relationship with mainly hard forks. That was a, cl- a clear topic of both, both episodes. And, like the, and this is what I've been saying from the, be- from the beginning. There's, there's only a very small window of design choices where crypto economic blockchain systems are able to operate inside of you need to have austrian economics you need to have a calcified blockchain it needs to be resistant resistant to change the only difference about ethereum is that in the social contract we have this like ethereum 1.x is just fucking beta and then and we've had commitments to slow down the rate of hard forks which has happened and the whole entire social contract of ethereum is to slow down and approach zero the rate of hard forks, and and so like maybe you can compare this to Bitcoin and say like Bitcoin is is the ultimate level of perfect immutability. However, when we compare things to the real world like real estate, stocks, whatever, Ethereum by and large solves all of the same problems to a pretty strong degree. And I would totally concede that it it's not shit. as strong as Bitcoin. But when you compare about the censorship resistance of Ethereum to anything else in the world,
2: it's still strong. First of all, fuck you, CK. You can't tell us like nine minutes before your hard stop. <laughs> Can I, come, like, I want to come back on next week or something. No, just, just keep it going.
1: Just go without okay. me. You don't even do, need me in this conversation. I'm just was, saying
2: no, I, I you, must you, go. You're I'm hosting. sorry. Okay, good. Second of all, the fact that ETH two doesn't exist, and uh-huh. you guys are all like ETH two, ETH two, ETH two, is the uncertainty. We don't fucking sure. know. This is yeah. This so is we're funny. all, we're all placing Dave our bets. David Hoffman is the host now, yeah. which just reminded me of that Tom Hanks movie. You know, like I'm the captain now. But anyway, <laughs> continue. Uh, yeah, no, we're we're all placing our bets that the
0: theory that eth2 will exist and exist with a social contract that we believe it
2: will will come about it's just it's just a bet on the future look i'm not an idiot i've well maybe i am when i'm about to say the next thing (laughs) i've owned eth proof of stake domains for the last five years Uh so first off when the fuck is it going to happen people have been saying it forever Uh you know for five years at least you know, that it's round the corner. I remember during the ICO, it was going to happen right away. It's going to happen right away. (laughs) The second thing is, I think proof of stake is inherently centralizing. And I think you can't get around it. And I actually think when I talk about it, I think I talk about it too much. Because I think in the game of money, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit torn on the issue. Like, do I want to help? Do I want to help out you guys? Do I don't want to help you guys out? But I, I think I think I do. I think ultimately it helps humanity. If you guys don't fuck this up, it helps humanity. And the, the thing is, you're going to fuck it up. You're <laughs> going to fuck it up. That's what's going to happen. Proof of stake is inherently centralizing. But so the is mine. The majority my of people, no, not to the same degree. Because people think exchanges have too much power right now. The exchanges are going to be the main validators of your network. That's what it's going to come down to. The exchanges are the easiest ones to regulate. hmm This whole slashing thing, who the fuck decides when you lose money? What is the objective truth? There is no objective truth there. That's not true at all, especially with slashing. I'll admit that on Twitter the other day, I was a little bit off on the slashing in terms of tour notes. Right. But there is a penalty mechanism in place Mm -hmm. there if you make the wrong decision, Mm -hmm. right? The beauty of Bitcoin is the distributed proof of work. It Mm -hmm. is the connection to the physical that Mm -hmm. you can expend energy and that we can objectively measure that expense, that that there's no way to fake it. There's no way to fake it. And with proof of stake, it it just, it's this idealized bullshit. And, and, and when, when enough stake is at on the line, you're going to get fucked. There's going to be a told you so moment. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going to fucking, you no, know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to twist, <laughs> twist the knife. I'm going to twist the knife. I'm going to admit it right now. Like, I'm going to twist the knife. I prefer if we don't hit that moment. And we oh. already see it right now with chains like Tezos.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We, we see it like, do you want Binance securing the majority of your network? Do you want Coinbase securing the majority of your network? Oh, we got, we got, we got Dave here.
1: Hey, Dave. Hey, <laughs> let, let's kick Dave out
2: all
0: right sorry we got
1: a new link dave sorry
0: all right catch you later
2: <laughs> i was just on i was See, just on with him the other day
1: oh, i funny. have to work guys i'm sorry <laughs>
2: all
0: right we, I, we should wrap this up no no you guys keep going i'm, I'm dispersing binance? a new link
2: you want binance to secure your network well
0: so that's why we have mechanisms that don't need centralized exchanges like we need on ramps but we don't need centralized it exchanges doesn't
2: mm-hmm. it doesn't matter it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have... We don't even have staking. We don't even have staking and Coinbase has a million Bitcoin. And people, it's, it's the right, because, because it's Bitcoin, same trade-off. Because Bitcoin requires
0: the link to the physical. Ethereum doesn't require the link to the physical. We can have exchanges that aren't on ramps, that aren't uh, on a, a, have one foot in the government and one foot in Ethereum. We don't need it's those. It's
2: the same trade-off. It's privacy versus convenience. It's censorship resistance versus convenience. Right. Um, you know, the UX of the UI Tigo,
0: experience, see yeah, Christian, of, exactly, of, yeah. of decentralized exchanges on Ethereum is fucking phenomenal. It's so stellar. I prefer the UI of Uniswap to anything no, else. It I've doesn't
2: used. matter though. It doesn't look at, at, if you look at Tezos, Tezos is, is, is really the best, I think is, is the best working example right now.
3: Yeah. It's um, a terrible
2: example. It's not a good no, no, example. No, no, it is it's a good example. It, it's a good example because it's cheaper to stake, it's cheaper to stake with Binance mm-hmm. than it is to stake keeping custody of your own coins. Mm-hmm. Tezos has a built-in mechanism where you can delegate out mm-hmm. and keep custody, right? Like Ledger right. has built it into their fucking device. you can Ethereum do has easily. not built that in. That will but, not be part of the Ethereum But box. I'm just saying, Ledger did it. The, there's, there's an integration there with Ledger that made it super easy to maintain custody uh, and, you know, and stake out to, to a delegator, but, but mm-hmm. you keep, you keep custody at least, right? right. Mm-hmm. Binance is cheaper. Right. If, if you delegate through the ledger model or whatever, it's like 6% or 8% or whatever the fuck it is. I think Meltem charges like 15%. Uh, but if, if, if you go to Binance zero, right. And why? Because Binance wants the market share. Mm-hmm. They want the influence. They want the trading fees. They have all these side hustles that allow them to undercut everyone else. They allow them to undercut the self custodial methods, right? And the same exact thing is going to happen on Ethereum. This, if, if Ethereum 2.0 launches, the same exact fucking thing is going to happen.
0: So there, there are a bit of, there are quite a number of fundamental differences between the Ethereum proof of stake and the Tezos proof of stake. First off, there's no built-in delegation. Uh, and it's also uh, the infrastructure and funding around self-staking is already rich, right? Like there's, all, there's already elegant UI UX applications for you to download on your computer that are sexy. Like uh, then all, they already trump some of the best like software that the Ethereum killers have been able to develop. And it's just on testnet. And we won't really know until this really, really goes live. But the whole, the whole design ethos of Ethereum is that you can stake on a laptop or or some time or or a raspberry pi or some little dap node computer that you just run run it run at home or you could also do something with like bison trails where you have a third-party custodian that operates like a multi-sig where you still have you run your own node but it's their computer on their network but you still have the self uh uh, you still, you still have your the own, your own custodianship, and it's your own node, and so it's not AWS. And all of these design decisions, that all the criticisms that you're bringing up, are are things that the Ethereum research team and the different client teams and the different implementers all are aware of and think about. Like these are
2: all solvable problems. No, because Binance can still undercut you. I don't even need to know any of this shit. I, I and I admit I don't. Okay, but I also admit that it's fucking exhausting trying to pay attention to it on an unlaunched network. That's fair. That is fair. We can have this conversation again whenever Mm -hmm. the fuck it launches, you know, and we can continue the conversation at that point. But I'm telling you, no matter what, CZ is going to be able to undercut you because he gets to sell value-added services. It's the same reason Gmail is fucking free, Mm -hmm. right? The internet was built, I mean, uh, email was built as a distributed protocol, you can run your own mail server. The majority of people are running Gmail. Why are the majority of people running Gmail? Because they're able to offer a superior service for free because they harvest your fucking information and mm-hmm. they have influence. And, and, and the spam is, is a big thing. Like if, if, if you operate your own mail server, there's a good chance you end up in Gmail spam. But if you if you get a Gmail account, you're not going to end up in the spam folder if you, mm-hmm. if you send an email to someone. Mm-hmm. So no matter what you do, it's unavoidable because CZ wants you to go leverage on his fucking exchange <laughs> and he's going to make money off of the side hustle. He's going to make money from the side fucking things. And then when it comes down to it, I know the Ethereum people know I'm right in terms of exchanges being the easiest to regulate. This is why there's been so much focus on decentralized exchanges. So called decentralized exchange mm-hmm. because they realize like the centralized exchanges are perfect targets. They have bank accounts, they, they have known actors. They're fucking rich people with things to lose. They're well, I, would, I would say it's because perfect of all the
0: centralized target. exchange hacks, more as the biggest thing.
2: No, no, no. That's the common misconception. It's really regulatory arbitrage. Well, like, it's, it's, the, it's the main protection from
0: the exchange operators if they create an exchange that is non-custodian, not non-custodial.
2: I don't think so. I think the main advantage, I think if you look at every major exchange you go through uh, in, in the history of so-called, if you look, mm-hmm. if you go through the history of Bitcoin,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? Every major exchange, the one that has been the biggest by volume has been no KYC. It's a right. Re- it's a regulatory play. Right. And this is what the failed dexes. is have missed. They think that they could have a DEX that's non-custodial that has KYC and we're cool. You know, people will use it. That's not the case. It comes down, it comes down to regulations and it comes down to regulatory resistance. And, and these exchanges, they can't, they, you can't escape for that long. We had, we had Bittrex and then they sold and went legit dropped off a cliff. We had mm-hmm. Polo. They sold and went legit. Dropped off a clip. Mm-hmm. Now we have Binance. Binance is shotgun KYCing people. You really can't use Binance without KYC at this point. Like they they do it in name only. But like when it comes time to withdraw, you'll probably get KYC. You'll probably get a shotgun KYC there. And but but CZ understands the value prop of non KYC, which is why he doesn't. And it's unethical, but it's why he doesn't do it until you try and withdraw. Right? It's, it's why he doesn't hit you with it. In, until it comes time for that where he's holding your money hostage, which is fucked up in itself, mm-hmm. but he understands that. And I think, you know, look at BitMEX. You think BitMEX would have no volume whatsoever if it had KYC. Zero volume. I mean, some volume,
3: mm-hmm. but like
2: minimal, minimal volume if it had, if it had KYC. It, it wouldn't have that kind of volume. That's the value prop of, of DEXs, and that's why exchanges – are the main regulatory target. They're just, if you're a big exchange, you're the fucking big target. And imagine that big exchange is also 40% validator of your network. You just, you know, you, you're just fucked. You just, there's, not, there's nothing you can do there.
0: Like the common Bitcoiner criticisms of Ethereum, we have all these solutions that are just in theory, right? But I would say that also the Bitcoiner criticisms of Ethereum are also in theory. And we just won't really know until the, the day actually comes.
2: Yeah. I'm, so that's why I'm recording all of mine. Mm-hmm. So then I get to, you know, I get to grandstand about it when it happens. Yeah. so and I don't so want I to. I prefer not to, mm-hmm. you know, like I would prefer if you guys just didn't, didn't go down that route. Like I, <laughs> it's too late. I just, <laughs> ship sailed. <laughs> I, distributed proof of work is the innovation. That's the innovation. It is amazing to me that it's 20 fucking 20 and people still think like proof of work is the problem that needs to be solved. It's, it's, I, it's I do not think opposite.
0: that. I personally do not think that. However, plenty of Ethereum, Ethereans do. That is for sure. That's for sure. Matt, we should probably wrap this up. Um, so It's been an absolute blast having you on your second appearance, appearance to uh, to POV Crypto. Uh, for those listeners who didn't check out the first episode, definitely please do. It was a It's a great prelude to this one, but I guess you've already listened to this one now. Um, Matt, do you have any message for our listeners? Where can they find you? Where should they go to to hear more about your thoughts?
2: Uh, we have a podcast, Tales from the Crypt. Search it in your favorite podcast app. All my links are at Uh so they're easily accessible. I have some resources there as well. Uh, if you're a Bitcoiner, btcprivacy.org is a great place to get started on Bitcoin privacy. Um, Delete your Snapchat, delete your Facebook, delete (laughs) Coinbase. Uh, Just care about your privacy. It's, It's fucking important.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Matt.
2: You guys can follow the podcast at
0: POV Crypto Pod. You can follow me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. And you can follow Christian at CK underscore Snarks. All right. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Oh shit! How do I stop recording?
2: <laughs> oh, I don't classic, classic effect.
3: <laughs> it it's
2: still it. recording. I think we just have to end the meeting. Please stop all trading. <laughs>
3: Will you deceive?